In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a life therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash gold. The Peter Schiff Show. I'd like to thank Indeed for supporting my podcast. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview, all on Indeed. So get started now with a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com Peter. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. You know, I really hadn't intended on making a podcast today. I had a lot on my plate, and I did a podcast yesterday. But the action in the market pretty much forced me to sit down to the microphone and record another podcast today. A lot of action in the markets. All the risk assets were sold off broadly today, although closing well off the lows. The Dow Jones at one time was down close to 600 points before pairing its losses at the close to just 164 points. In fact, the Nasdaq almost came back to positive, but all of the markets, commodity markets were down, oil was down about two bucks. Most commodities were lower, although lumber I've been talking about finally had a bit of a bounce. It had been selling off earlier than a lot of the other commodities, but the one asset class that I really want to focus on today is Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general, which really crashed today. Now, that doesn't mean I think the bottom is in. It's not. But we certainly got a short-term 
capitulation type sell-off, which is something I have been anticipating and warning about for the last couple of weeks on this podcast as I've been watching Bitcoin carving out a classic head and shoulders top. And to me, there was an extreme amount of complacency in the crypto community with respect to this ominous technical sign. And it seemed pretty obvious to me that we were going to get a pretty big sell-off. And we did. We got the whole thing today. In fact, the big drop happened between about, I think, 8.30 and 9 o'clock in the morning Eastern time. That's where Bitcoin fell from about 38,000 to about 30,000 within a half hour. That is a 20% decline in one half an hour. I mean, one thing that today's action should do once and for all is settle the debate as to whether or not Bitcoin is a safe haven store of value inflation hedge like gold or whether it's a risk asset. And today, Bitcoin followed all the risk assets lower. In fact, it probably led the risk assets lower. Gold was up about $15, $16, $17 early this morning. Now, it initially sold off early in the morning. In fact, I think gold sold off even before Bitcoin. But when Bitcoin started to crash in that half hour, gold came back from about a $10 or $15 loss into the black. And ultimately, it had about a $17 rally. It ended up surrendering those gains later in the day after the release of the Fed Minutes, which I'm going to get to in the second half of this podcast. For now, I want to continue to talk about the crypto carnage. But crypto, Bitcoin, went down with risk assets. In fact, people seem to be rotating into gold as a hedge against the weakness in crypto, which is what I have been saying all along that the people who own crypto and who are speculating in crypto should try to hedge their crypto portfolio by buying gold because gold is a safe haven store of value. It can rise when other assets are falling. Bitcoin, again, proved today it is not non-correlated or uncorrelated. It correlated perfectly with all these other high-risk stocks that were crashing, except Bitcoin crashed much more. Now, it has recovered a good chunk of those losses. The low was just over 30000 As I am recording the podcast, we're trading between 38500 and 39000 The highest we got on the snapback was a little over 40000 The interesting thing was the rally couldn't carry it back to 42000 which was the spike low, I think, from yesterday. So the people who bought that dip and who thought they were so smart, well, we went lower today. Now, of course, a lot of people are excited about the fact that we recovered from 30000 and that's all everybody is talking about. You see, it's recovered. Buying the dip works. Well, buying the dip worked yesterday. At least that's what people thought until we had a bigger dip today. And today's dip buying is only going to work until we take out the low, which we will do. Now, interestingly enough, this collapse down to 30000 really fulfills the objective of the head and shoulders top. If you actually measure the neckline, this is about what I was looking for to complete that pattern. So we could easily go sideways for some time digesting this big sell-off. 
But I don't think that this completion of this head and shoulders top means that the bear market is over and a new bull market is going to be born and we're going to be back above 65,000 in the next few weeks or the next few months. I really doubt it because if you look at the technical damage really done to the Bitcoin chart, and that's really all Bitcoin has is technical analysis because there are no fundamentals because there's nothing fundamental to analyze. It's all technicals, right? And the technicals look horrible now. The market has broken. It's broken big time. And I think we're headed lower. In fact, I think it's going to be difficult for Bitcoin to get back above 42, 43,000. And if it can't do that, it is going back down to retest 30,000. I don't expect that test to be successful. I do think that there will be a defense of the 30,000 level. I think a lot of the bulls uh, will try to mount a stance there. But I don't think it will work. And I think we're going to break again back down to 20,000, which would at least test the old high, which makes sense from a technical perspective. And that would be about a 70% decline from the peak. Now, right now, the decline is better than 50% because Bitcoin topped out just below 65,000 and bottomed out so far just above 30,000. So you're talking about more than a 50% decline now. And it's across the board. I think during the day at one point, about 1 trillion in market cap was wiped out instantaneously across the almost 10,000 cryptocurrencies. Ether actually had a worse day than Bitcoin. Ether got down below 2,000, I think 1,800 and change. It was above 4,000 just the other day. I mean, so all these currencies... Uh, just in a bloodbath, not currencies. I really shouldn't even call them currencies. They're tokens, they're uh, digital tokens. But the point I just made earlier is that the debate should be settled now. Nobody could look at the type of action that we had today in Bitcoin and go away with the belief that if they're buying Bitcoin, they're buying something safe. They're buying something stable. They're buying something as a hedge, you know, a safe haven. None of that is true. This is pure gambling. In fact, the funniest part about today's rally off the lows is the catalyst was none other than a Elon Musk tweet. You would think the crypto community had enough of Elon Musk. No, whenever he tweets out something that's pro-Bitcoin, they love him again because this is all this market has. It lives and dies by an Elon Musk tweet. And that means Elon Musk can destroy this market anytime he wants. All he has to do is tweet something out. Why would you want to put your life savings into a crypto asset and just hope and pray that somebody as unstable as Elon Musk just doesn't decide to completely wipe you out with an ill-timed tweet? And all it takes is one or two words or memes. He just can tweet out an emoji and, and you're done in Bitcoin. In fact, the tweet that launched a five or $6,000 rally in Bitcoin, because I think we we're around 35,000. So we had bounced a bit off the lows before Elon Musk posted his tweet. And all he tweeted was Tesla has, and then an emoji of a diamond, and then an emoji of a pair of hands. In other words, diamond hands. And what that's supposed to mean in the crypto community is you have strong hands, right? Because diamonds are strong. You have strong hands, which means you're holding, you're hodling, you're not selling your Bitcoin. So the fact that Elon Musk 
tweeted out the fact that Tesla is potentially holding on to its Bitcoin and not selling despite the collapse, this sparked a rally. Why this should spark a rally, it makes absolutely no sense. Because number one, Musk didn't actually say anything with this tweet. I mean, all he did is tweet out a emoji of a diamond and a pair of hands. You think that's going to stop Tesla from selling their Bitcoin if that's what they want to do? I mean, I don't even think that's somehow inside information or fraud. I mean, Elon Musk could always say, what, I tweet out a diamond and a pair of hands. What's the big deal? He could easily be selling Bitcoin despite the fact that he tweeted out diamond hands. But let's assume that Elon Musk is being honest and Tesla hasn't sold. Why is that bearish? Because it means he still has the Bitcoin to sell. I mean, if the market has crashed by 50% and Musk hasn't sold a Satoshi since the original 10% sale that he talked about, and you think this is bullish, that's bearish because had he already sold, at least the market would have absorbed the selling and now maybe it can move forward. But now the market knows that you've got Elon Musk who's got one foot out the door already on Bitcoin. He's already losing interest in it. It could be very easy for Musk to just get rid of his Bitcoin, especially when the price is still higher than I believe his cost basis, although it may not be there for long at the rate that this thing is dropping. And in fact, I didn't even know this when I did yesterday's podcast, but I talked a lot about Michael Saylor on my podcast yesterday. Well, I missed Michael Saylor's tweet that MicroStrategies had purchased another $10 million worth of Bitcoin to add to its holdings. I think he tweeted out a price of maybe 43000 44000 ish per Bitcoin. Of course, he's already way down on it, but this guy continues to buy. It wouldn't surprise me if he bought more Bitcoin today. We'll find out. And you know, the interesting thing about Michael Saylor is, you know, you hear a lot about the Bitcoin whales, right? All the, the guys that own lots of Bitcoin. Well, even though Michael Saylor is one of those whales, in my mind, the real whale when it comes to Michael Saylor is Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the whale, right? In fact, it's Moby Dick. It is the big white whale. And Michael Saylor is Captain Ahab. And he is obsessed with Bitcoin. And basically, I look at MicroStrategy as the Pequod, right? That is the ship that Ahab captained. And I think you've got all these shareholders who are aboard this ship and they are going to drown along with Michael Saylor because he is going to pursue this obsession until his own death. And he's going to kill everybody on board uh, the micro strategy. I think shareholders have two choices, either mutiny, right? Get rid of this guy and take over this company and salvage what's left of what used to be a software company or jump ship and sell your stock. This thing is going much, much lower. You know, it was only down today by 7.5%. We're now at 454, down from a $1,315 high. Coinbase down 5.8%, a new low. In fact, it got down to $208 was the low today. Remember, the reference price was 250, which we just broke yesterday or the day before went down to 208. It was as high as 429 during the opening 15 minutes or so of trading. I mentioned Galaxy Digital yesterday. It was down 6.5%. And of course, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust down another 5%. But at one point, I think it was down closer to 15% on the day. The low was 28 
and it closed at 32.6, and that was still down over 5%, even though it was $2.60 off the low. But all that low did was set up a new target, which I'm sure we will not only hit, but we will take out in the days ahead as this bear market continues to grind lower. You know, as I was watching to the coverage of uh, the crypto market on CNBC, continuously throughout the day, I'm watching these grayscale uh, ads, right? Buy grayscale trust, buy Bitcoin. Everything is great. I love Bitcoin constantly. Uh, one ad, every break, there was another advertisement for Bitcoin. And they brought up all of the usual suspects to come online and talk about Bitcoin. Everybody, of course, biased uh, with a vested interest in the success of Bitcoin because they work for a Bitcoin company. Uh, they manage a Bitcoin fund. And what do you know? Everybody is bullish. Everybody is saying buy the dip. The same thing from all of the talking heads. This is an opportunity. They're looking at this collapse and they still can't figure it out. Although I thought one interesting comment I was watching in the morning with Joe Kernan. And Joe Kernan said, you know, maybe with the benefit of hindsight, I know nobody saw it at the time and nobody really noticed it, but maybe the NFT craze and the Beeple sale and maybe the Coinbase IPO, maybe Elon Musk's Saturday Night Live hosting, maybe all this stuff was just one of those classic signs of like a top of a market, a speculative blow off top that nobody noticed at the time. But now in hindsight, looking back, maybe we should have taken notice, right? He's saying that nobody noticed it. Nobody on CNBC noticed it. Yeah, that's for damn sure. But that doesn't mean nobody else noticed it. Nobody with a brain, like I noticed it. I mean, I know I'm not the only one, but I was using all three of those points on my podcast as examples, as warning signs saying, hey, this is the sign of uh, mania. These are the type of signs that you see at the top of a bubble. And that's exactly what we're seeing. So I'm not looking back with the benefit of hindsight and saying, gee, I guess we missed this. I didn't miss it. I called it out. And the reason that people on CNBC weren't able to see it is when you are in a bubble, you can't see anything that's going on outside that bubble. You are oblivious. You have to be on the outside looking in to notice these signs. And that's why they're not even sure. They're saying maybe it was a sign. Maybe there's a top. Look, to me, the top is in. Everything that's happening, the rotation out of momentum into value, the rotation out of U.S., in the international, the rotation out of Bitcoin, in the gold, everything that is happening right now confirms that we've seen a top and the trend has changed. Of course, the people who are still wedded to what worked in the past are going to be very slow to making this adjustment and coming to this recognition because they are used to buying the dips because buying the dips worked all the time during the bull market. And since they don't know the bull market is over, they expect buying the dips to work again. That's why they have been lulled into this false sense of complacency and they are about to be shocked into reality, although it's going to take a long time and they're going to lose a lot of money uh, before that happens. 
As a public person, I am hyper aware of safety and security. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online, and it makes sure it stays offline. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process, helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts will take it from there. Delete Me sends you regular personalized privacy reports showing what information they found, where they found it, and what they removed. Delete Me isn't just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information that you don't want on the internet. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com gold and use the promo code gold at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash gold and enter code gold at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash gold, code gold. Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. But, you know, one piece of good news, I think, regarding all the people who are going to lose a lot of money in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies is that a lot of the people are young and they have a lifetime to learn and benefit from this experience. Yes, it's going to be a costly experience. People are going to lose a lot of money, but they will learn a valuable lesson in the process and hopefully losing a lot of money when they're young will prevent them from losing even more money when they're older. But another good thing too about a lot of the young people who have gotten into Bitcoin is they've ended up learning a lot about economics, about Austrian economics, you know, about sound money. In fact, I, you know, I ran into a group of young guys, I mean, probably in their 20s that were here in Puerto Rico and I was at a restaurant for lunch and they all recognized me. They were very excited to see me. So I posed for photographs with them, but they were all into crypto. They all own Bitcoin, but they were big fans of mine. They were excited to see me and take photographs with me. Even though I am very anti-Bitcoin, 
they are very pro-Peter Schiff because I've had a big influence on them and on their way of thinking. And so I think a lot of people who got introduced to Austrian economics that understand sound money, I mean, most people didn't even know what a fiat currency was until they got interested in Bitcoin. I mean, to most people, if you said fiat, they just thought of the automobile. But now they know what fiat is. They just think Bitcoin is somehow an improvement. They don't realize that it's not. But once they've lost confidence in fiat, after they lose their money in Bitcoin, it's not like they're just going to say, okay, well, let's go back to fiat because now we like fiat. No. Once they find out that Bitcoin doesn't work as an alternative, well, then they'll know what does. And that's gold or silver, real money, sound money. So I think a lot of people have received a valuable education on economics and money. It's unfortunate that as a result of that, they ended up buying Bitcoin. But again, the valuable lesson that they're learning at a young age uh, is going to serve them well as they get older. The problem is going to be for the older people who lost retirement money, who aren't going to have the years to recover it. I feel really bad for these people. I mean, sure, yes, everybody is going to have themselves to blame. Everybody is ultimately responsible for their own bad decisions. I tried my best to put information out there to warn people, and people obviously had that information at their disposal. But, you know, there are a lot of other people uh, that I think bear some of the responsibility. And I'm sure that the losses in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are not going to end with a collapse of the cryptos. They're just beginning because a lot of the pumpers who made money are going to end up on the receiving end of lawsuits. So a lot of people who have been pumping up Bitcoin, you guys better lawyer up because you're going to get sued. I'm not saying that the people who are suing you that they're not partially responsible for making their own foolish decisions to gamble on Bitcoin, but that's not going to stop them from suing. Unfortunately, suing people is the American way. Blaming other people for your own losses and your own mistakes is exactly what Americans like to do, and that's what the lawyers specialize in. And there obviously are going to be some cases, and I think, again, the incestuous relationship between Grayscale being the biggest advertiser on CNBC constantly promoting the gay scale trust while at the same time cnbc does nothing but promote bitcoin and grayscale they have no bitcoin bears on their air they have a constant flow of bitcoin bulls never a balanced discussion all kinds of pie in the sky crazy statements going unchallenged constantly why you know well the, the ad money is paying for it look all this stuff is going to come out in the courtroom and we'll see what happens you know, one of the more interesting anecdotes that came out, and I missed it yesterday, it was on Anthony Pompliano's Twitter feed, but apparently he's opened up a chain of pizza restaurants called Bitcoin Pizza. And again, it's supposedly in commemoration of Bitcoin Pizza Day, uh, where somebody bought a couple of pizzas uh, with Bitcoin. And now this is commemorating that. But the biggest irony of it is that Bitcoin Pizza is not going to accept Bitcoin in exchange for pizzas. So even though somebody was able to buy a couple of pizzas for Bitcoin 10 years ago, if you want to actually buy a pizza at Bitcoin Pizza, they don't take Bitcoin. 
Now, you know, Anthony Pompliano got a lot of flack, deservedly so, for that fact. And he tried to, you know, explain himself and do damage control by saying, hey, the last thing he would want is to encourage people to part with their Bitcoin for some pizza. So out of, you know, respect or deference for their customers, right? He doesn't want their Bitcoin. He wants the customers to keep the Bitcoin and to buy the pizzas with their dollars. But if he loves Bitcoin so much, why wouldn't he want to take Bitcoin in exchange for his pizzas? I mean, forget about your customers. You want Bitcoin. I mean, if you believe Bitcoin is a sound money, then you would want to get paid Bitcoin for your pizzas. This is a bunch of nonsense to say that he just cares about his customers and he doesn't want his customers Bitcoin. He only wants his customers dollars. Well, hey, what if you've got some customers that don't even have any dollars? They're all in on Bitcoin. That's all they have. Why can't they buy a pizza in Bitcoin? The reason they can't is because it doesn't work. It would be so expensive to buy a pizza with Bitcoin that no one could afford to buy it. And you can't price the pizza in Bitcoin because it's too volatile. I mean, it's not money. It's not even currency. It's not a unit of account. It's not a medium of exchange. We know it's not a store of value. It certainly didn't store any value today. It is just a speculative token. And Pompliano proves it himself because his own Bitcoin pizza restaurant won't accept payment in Bitcoin. In business, the key to success is finding your edge and then leveraging it. Well, if you're hiring, that edge is Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview. And you can do it all on Indeed. You can get a quality short list of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description and you get it faster and you only pay for the candidates that specifically meet your must-have qualifications and you can schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed's Instant Match, it gives you quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately. And it includes Indeed's skills tests that on average reduce hiring time by 27%. You have the option of choosing between more than 130 skill tests that have already been prepared, or you can make your own. And then you can add your must-have requirements so you only pay for the applicants that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all the other job sites combined. So if you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Peter. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash Peter. That's Indeed.com slash Peter. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Now, I want to move forward to some real economic news, or at least economic news that the markets perceived as being real, but it was really nothing but BS. And that was the release of the Federal Open Market Committee's minutes. And what sparked a big reaction in both the gold market and the dollar, meaning that gold surrendered its gains, so it sold off, and the dollar rallied, was the following sentence. And I'm reading from the minutes. Quote, a number of participants suggested that if the economy continued to make rapid progress toward the committee's goals, it might be appropriate at some point in upcoming meetings to begin discussing a plan for adjusting 
the pace of asset purchases. That's it. That's it. Now, the mere suggestion that there may be a discussion at some upcoming meeting of potentially possibly adjusting the asset purchases, that's it. Oh my God, they're going to taper. They're talking about tapering. They're thinking about talking about tapering and gold sells off. It went from up like 15 bucks, I forget where it was, to down seven, eight bucks. Uh, Ended up closing, you know, maybe up a dollar or so, but gold sold off and we had this big rally in the dollar. We did see a bit of a sell-off in the bond market as well. Yields rose on the 10 and the 30-year U.S. Treasuries, all as a result of the way these minutes were perceived. But let's actually take a look at what was in these minutes. I'm going to go over what I just read again more slowly and comment on everything that the minutes reveal. So first it starts off by revealing a number of participants. Now, what number? I don't know. Was it one? Was it two? How many are in that number? They don't say. My guess is that it's a minority of the participants. So I think most of the participants did not want to suggest this. And I certainly believe that among the number who did make this suggestion that Jerome Powell was not in that number. So if you don't have the chairman on board, it doesn't really matter if you have a couple of guys on the FOMC that made a suggestion. If the chairman is not on board, then nothing's going to happen, right? So a unknown number of participants suggested that if, if the economy continue to make rapid progress toward the committee's goals. Now we know it's already not doing that because these minutes took place before the recent horrible jobs number that was a massive disappointment and other economic data that has been collapsing like sentiment numbers, consumer sentiment, home buyer sentiment. So we've seen a big change already in the economic data. So we're no longer making rapid progress. And so the whole thing is already a non-event. It's much ado about nothing because the willingness to discuss or think about tapering was contingent on the continuation of rapid progress towards the committee's goals when that progress has already stopped. So it already should be dismissed as meaningless. Now I'm going to keep on reading. Then it says it might be appropriate. So might be, not it will be appropriate. It might be. So it might not be. So they're saying even if the economy continues to make rapid progress, which it's not doing, then it might be appropriate, but it might not be appropriate. Now, when? At some point. It doesn't say at the next meeting. It says at some point in upcoming meetings. Which meeting? The next one? The one after that? The one next year? In two years? I mean, they don't even mention which meeting it may be appropriate to begin a discussion, right? Because then it says, It might be appropriate at some point in an upcoming meeting to begin discussions. Begin, not even complete, just start a discussion. When are they going to finish it? How many more meetings are going to take place before they finish the discussion that began? Which, again, leads me to the next point, to begin discussing a plan for adjusting the pace of asset purchases. Not implementing a plan. They're talking about at a future meeting, They're going to begin a discussion of a plan to adjust the pace of asset purchases. That doesn't mean they're actually going to adjust it or that they even have a plan. They're just going to discuss 
a plan. And of course, they can discuss a plan and decide not to adjust asset purchases, which is exactly what they would do if they ever discussed this topic. But there's actually no indication from these meetings that they plan on doing it. They just threw the words in there. This is all part of the show, you know, but eventually it's going to be like the boy who cried wolf because there's going to be only so many times where they can bark about the potential of discussing a plan for tapering without actually doing it. Because again, I have described this situation, this box that the Fed is in on multiple occasions on this podcast. The Fed can't taper. They can't raise interest rates. They can't turn off the monetary spigots, but they also can't admit that. Now, I admit myself that I thought the Fed was in the same box years ago when they kept teasing about raising interest rates and normalizing policy. I thought at that time that they were bluffing because I knew they could never finish the normalization process if they started it. And I thought that that was a big risk, that if they tried to normalize rates and failed, that that might be a bigger problem than never trying at all. I think what happened that enabled the Fed to do that was the election of Donald Trump. That gave them the cover and all that optimism about the Trump boom uh, and the fact that I don't think they mind pulling the rug out from under the economy when Trump was president. So I think, okay, that gave them the ability to do uh, what I knew was impossible. And then ultimately, the Fed did exactly what I said they were going to do. Uh, they aborted the attempt to normalize rates and shrink the balance sheet back to zero. And now the balance sheet is at new record highs. But at this point, the bubble is so much bigger now than it was back then that there is no way, and especially with Joe Biden as the president, there is no way they're going to pull the rug out from under the economy now. So the Fed can't tighten policy. In fact, it has to ease policy even further. They're not printing enough. The QE isn't big enough. They need a bigger QE boat, and that's what's coming. But the Fed also can't admit that because that would also cause a crisis. If the Fed admitted what should be obvious and what I'm pointing out right now on my podcast, if the Fed admitted that, hey, we can't raise rates, why are you guys actually worried about taper or about rate hikes? We can't do it. The economy has so much debt that we can't raise rates and we can't do anything about inflation. Doesn't matter how high inflation gets, we're not gonna do anything to fight it. They can't say that. Because if they say that, the dollar is going to crash right now. So the only way to prevent the dollar from crashing is to pretend that they're going to do the impossible. The crazy thing is how many people believe the Fed can do the impossible. But as I said in my last podcast, looking at the action in the dollar, looking at the action in gold, I think people are starting to discover or realize that it is impossible. And because it's impossible, the Fed won't do it. That's why gold didn't get slammed today. It lost a rally, but it came back and closed flat. Yes, the dollar index was up, but barely above the 90 level. So we didn't get a huge rally in the dollar. We didn't get a huge drop in gold. We got knee-jerk reactions because most of the traders don't get it, but some of them are starting to get it. So this is the beginning of the process where people start to realize the truth and again, as the Fed continues to cry wolf about its intentions or ability to taper, but it never does it. And of course, we're going to continue to get more and more weak economic data. And that weak economic data is going to make it that much more obvious that the Fed is not going to 
tighten policy as the economy is weakening because that will simply weaken the economy even further and they are in the job of stimulating the economy not sedating it at least that's what they believe i know that their stimulus is actually a sedative but they don't know that and of course they've got no alternative because to do the right thing would be so painful that all they can do is continue to kick the can down the road i mean if they were going to do the right thing they should have done it a decade or two ago but back then the short-term consequences of doing the right thing were so painful that nobody wanted to do it. Well, if they couldn't do it then, they really can't do it now because all of the problems that they were too afraid to face are now so much bigger because they didn't want to face them. And because they postponed the day of reckoning, we now have a much bigger problem that needs to be reckoned with. And so they are going to do everything they can. So the mitigating factor is the dollar. They will continue to print money, monetize debt, pedal to the metal. The only thing that's going to stop them is a dollar crash. Fortunately, we're going to get one. And so the Fed is going to have to stop at some point because they can keep printing money and keep buying bonds and artificially suppressing interest rates. They can keep subsidizing government deficit spending with money printing, but they can only do it until the money they're printing no longer has much value. Once the people don't want the money they're printing, especially foreigners, our trading partners, who are supplying us with all this merchandise in exchange for all that money, once you get a dollar crash, that's going to end it. And I think when the dollar crashes at some point in the future, it may look like Bitcoin did today. I mean, look at that free fall that we saw in Bitcoin, as I mentioned, 20% in a half hour. The same thing can happen to the dollar because fundamentally there's no difference, right? There's no real value in the dollar. There's no real value in Bitcoin. The only value that the dollar has is that it is legal tender And unlike Bitcoin, the dollar is used as a medium of exchange and a unit of account. And we've been using dollars all of our lives. So you have that. But beneath all of that, all you have is faith and confidence. And that can be lost very quickly, especially among foreigners, because they don't have to use dollars as a medium of exchange. They've got their own fiat currencies. As flawed as they are, they're not as flawed as the dollar. And when they can read the writing on the wall and they really want to start selling these dollars and they know that the Fed has no ability to ever stop inflation. And so they're not going to run to ride this thing down and they're going to bail and the dollar's going to crash. And then and only then might the Fed do the right thing. But it might not. I mean, doing the right thing at that point will be even more painful than doing it now. And the other problem is the politics are so bad because we have record numbers of American voters who have absolutely no faith in capitalism. Of course, this collapse will be blamed on capitalism. They think the answer lies in socialism, communism, big government. And so this may be the catalyst not to solve the problem, but to make it dramatically worse by completing our journey down the road to serve them. But before we finish that journey, make sure you are prepared. We got that bit of a sell-off in gold today, sell-off in silver, rallying in the dollar. Take advantage of it. People still don't get it. They still haven't connected the dots. They still think the Fed can do the impossible. Well, we know nobody can do the impossible, least of all the Fed. So buy this dip 
in gold and silver, sell this rip in the U.S. dollar, right, as small as the rip is, if you're still holding on to your cryptocurrency, if you've been listening to my podcast, and even though I've been warning you and telling you that we were going to have a crash, it's not too late to sell. In fact, you got a gift because we rallied from 30000 almost to 40000 Yeah, we're not quite at 40000 now, but to me, 40000 ish seems like a great place to sell. Yeah, you're not going to sell at the high. You missed that opportunity, but 40000 is still double the old high of 20000 and it's a long way down to zero. So you don't want to ride it all the way down. If you still have big gains, it's not too late to realize them. You know, there's an old saying, bulls make money, Bears make money and pigs get slaughtered. Don't be a pig. Take your gains. But you know what? You can make a lot more money. It's not like the gains are over. Take your crypto profits and put them into gold and silver. Put them into gold and silver mining stocks or invest more conservatively in the foreign dividend stocks that I've been pounding the table on. Talk to your Euro-Pacific capital broker. Talk to your representative at Uh, Euro-Pacific Asset Management, about setting up a managed account, about getting into the Euro-Pacific funds. Call up my guys over at Shift Gold. Get yourself some physical gold and silver. One of these days, we're going to have a Bitcoin-type crash in reverse uh, for these markets, right? The dollar's going to tank. Gold and silver are going to go way up. You don't want to wait until that point to buy, right? Buy in the low before the storm. Don't try to buy in the middle of the storm. That's when everybody else is going to be scrambling to buy. And of course, they're going to be paying through the nose uh, when they try to do it. And in fact, you know, in the crypto markets today, while a lot of people were trying to sell, these exchanges shut down. Coinbase, Binance, I forget the name of these exchanges, but they all had temporary outages. And I know that Anthony Pompliano, he put out a tweet this morning and he said, wow, there's nothing more frustrating then wanting to buy more Bitcoin on the dip and you can't buy because the exchange is closed. Well, I can think of a lot of things more frustrating. Like what about the people that want to sell and they want to get out and they can't get out? That's probably more frustrating being trapped in when you want out than trying to buy more. And you know what's also frustrating? Watching your life savings evaporate and go to money heaven because your paper profits are evaporating. And I know I said that if you have profits in Bitcoin, hey, realize them now. But you know what? Even if you have losses, if you didn't buy, if you waited and watched from the sidelines or you bought some down low and you averaged up and maybe you bought your Bitcoin at 50000 and if you sell it at 40000 you're going to take a small loss. Well, taking a small loss is better than the alternative, which is taking a big loss. So a small loss is your best friend because it prevents you from getting a big loss. Get out, take that small loss, and you can make that loss back by investing in something else, whether it's gold and silver or the mining stocks or value stocks outside the United States, dividend paying stocks. We are early in this new bull market in in global stocks and emerging markets and commodities. So this is the beginning. You're early to the game. Anybody who's still in crypto has overstayed their welcome at the party. It's amazing to me that so many people think they're getting in on the ground floor. You're at the top of the Empire State Building. You know, the ground floor, you're much closer to that in the markets that I am uh, recommending. Oh, and by the way, too, I want to encourage those of you who are not yet following me on Twitter to go ahead and do so now. I am now in the final stretch in my quest to attain half a million 
Twitter followers. As I am recording this podcast, I have over 493,000 followers. So probably by the end of the week, I will be at half a million. I'm not sure how many non-verified Twitter accounts have 500,000 followers. I mean, I know I'm not the only one, but I'm sure it's a pretty small club because my guess is most people who manage to get a half a million followers are also verified. So I think it's an even bigger accomplishment that I've been able to do it without any help from Twitter uh, because they haven't seen fit to give me a check mark. But anyway, so if you're not following me, follow me and then tell your friends, get them to follow me because there's a lot of information that I'm going to be dispensing. You're not going to get any valid financial information, uh, economic information from your conventional mainstream financial media outlets or papers. If you really want to know what's going on and if you really want to know how you need to position your portfolios to profit from what's going on, you got to listen to me. And I know there's a lot of people out there that like to make fun of me. Oh yeah, Peter Schiff is right every 10 years, right? He was right on the housing market crash and so now he's right on something and so he's right every 10 years. It's not that I'm right every 10 years. I'm right every year during those 10 years. I'm just early. So when I warn about something and it doesn't happen until years after I warn about it, it doesn't mean my warning was wrong. It just means my warning was early, but I've never been wrong. Everything that I said would happen as a result of the Fed's mistakes following the 2008 financial crisis, all those things are going to happen. You see, when I was out there warning about the 2008 financial crisis before it happened, I understood the problem. And after the crash that nobody expected happened the way I expected it, and the Fed reacted the way I predicted it would react, I knew that its policies were a mistake. I knew that it was setting us up for a much greater collapse. What I didn't know was how long it would take for that collapse to happen. In the meantime, all of the people who were completely blindsided by the 2008 financial crisis had no idea that it was going to happen. They all think the Fed policy worked. They all thought the Fed solved the problem that they didn't even understand. It was because I understood the problem that I knew the Fed not only didn't solve it, but made it much worse. But over the years, as there was no apparent crisis as a result of QE1, 2, or 3, or all those deficits, a lot of people began to think, hey, Peter Schiff was wrong because he's been warning about all this bad stuff and it hasn't happened. Well, a lot of bad stuff was happening. It's just that a lot of people didn't realize that the stuff that was happening was bad. They saw the stock market going up, the real estate market going up, Americans spending money, and they thought it was all good. And I knew it was all bad because I knew the source of the spending and I knew how it was going to end. Well, now we are looking at the beginning of the end. But it doesn't mean that I've been wrong for the past 10 years and now I'm right. I have been right each and every year of those 10 years. It's the people who have been cheerleading the Fed, who have been cheerleading the markets, who thought the Fed saved the day, who thought the Fed did the right thing. Those are the guys who have been wrong for the past 10 years. They just didn't know it and they still don't know it, but they're about to find out the hard way. 